We are God's creations, each of us crafted for a purpose. We begin our journey as dreamers in a world filled with possibility. Nothing seems impossible. Along the way, we begin to settle and dreams are replaced with details. Routine takes over. We find ourselves listening to the thoughts of limitations, our purpose and desire, lost in the blaring static of our lives. And still, in our deepest places, we feel a push towards something more, a sense that we were made for something greater and we yearn most for a life of significance instead of survival. Let's discover what was lost, restore what was diminished, and live out our purpose. It's time to dream again. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Boy, it's early, isn't it? Uh, so, not early enough. <laughs> well, it's early for me. Not really. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here, man. Welcome, and woman. Uh, welcome to Hope Anthem Church. Uh, we like to say this little phrase every single week. Uh, we exist to really to bring hope to you. I and mean, that's why we exist. We, we want you to be filled with hope. Uh, our, our tagline basically is that uh, we exist to bring hope to you and your community, and we do that by being a church anybody can come to, or, or by actually being Christians that anybody can come to. I've, have you been around that Christian that's like, I don't know if that's a Christian or not? Anybody? Okay, that you're sitting next to him, just so you know. Uh, but but sometimes like it's hard to be around another Christian because it's like, man, I don't know, I don't really know how I stand with this person. Like they they love me, but they don't love me. I'm not really sure. We don't want that to be a question in your mind when you come to this church. We want you to know that you are fully accepted. We, we just, we're crazy about you only because Jesus himself is crazy about you, and we want to be more like Jesus. Amen, everybody? That's who we want to be like. So everybody joining us online, God bless you guys. We love you like crazy. Uh, all of our people over at the Franklin County Correctional Facility, hello this morning. It's good to see you guys, or at least... To be seen by you. Um, all of our first timers that are in the room right now, thanks for being here. Can we welcome everybody, everybody online, everybody in, the pers uh, in person? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All right. Well, a uh, couple of things I want to mention to you, and we're going to jump into this, this uh, third installment of Dream again. So the first thing is this, that New People Party is tonight. You heard the, the announcement. I don't need to give it again. Starting point starts, begins May 2nd at 9.30. It'll happen in a, a room back behind me. It's the starting point room, basically. And uh, I hope that you will choose to discover your purpose. It's, uh, life is too short to not discover your purpose, everybody. And we will help you do that in four weeks. Four weeks at 9.30, uh, the first four weeks of May, the first four Sundays of May. So I hope... You'll join us for that. You can sign up for these things at the welcome party or in your seat back pocket, you're going to find one of these things. There's, there's a couple of QR codes, and this is going to help you just take your smartphone out. Uh, if you have a dumb phone, don't take that out right now because that won't work. But if you take a smartphone out, that you can uh, scan this QR code and we'll help you get all signed up and, and ready for starting point or new people party or all kinds of stuff, okay? So I hope that you'll do that. Uh, one more thing that I want to uh, introduce to you this year. We're trying to do something a little bit different um, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, something a little bit different. And, uh, and so uh, we're going to give hope with one day. I'm, I'm giving you a couple of weeks in advance uh, uh, just to notice, and then uh, there's, a, there's a several weeks in a row that we're just going to invite you to give one day's wages to give hope to people in your community and uh, to children to be fed for a year. And let me show you what that looks like. Uh, we're going to give to Hope House. We're going to give to Life Care Center. We're going to give to Willow House. This is an abuse treatment center. And then we're going to give to Convoy of Hope, which will lead to One Day to Feed the World. Uh, to feed a child for an entire year, uh, it's about $120. To feed a child in a third world country, it's about $120. Uh, 
And, and I, don't, I don't know what your uh, daily wage is, what your hourly wage is. What I am suggesting to you is to pick a day between May 9 and May 30, a day that when you go to work, you say, I'm not working for myself. I'm not working for my children. Today, I'm working for someone else who needs hope, who needs hope. That's my invitation to you this year. Is that okay, everybody? Is that okay? I don't hear you saying anything. I'm going to guess that that's okay. Okay. It's just, I'm, I'm just encouraging you. My wife and I are going to do it. Uh, my oldest son, he works. He doesn't even know it yet. He's on one of the cameras. He's going to do it. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're going to choose to give a day's wage. Why? Why? Because, man, in, in the United States, we are very, very blessed. And uh, you, you're, you're blessed with more. So what's the more for? To be a blessing to others. And with that being said, hey, thanks for honoring God with your giving. <laughs> uh, we always show these different ways to give because it's important. Uh, Jesus talked more about money in the four Gospels than he talked about anything else. Why? Because typically that's where our treasure is. It's in our money. And, uh, man, when you're able to just release that into the hands of God and say, man, I, I just want to please you, Jesus, some things begin to break off your life, I'm telling you. You'll never know until you try it out. So I'm just going to invite you to try it out. Okay, dream again. Here we go. <laughs> to which you say, dream on, sucker. I ain't giving nothing to anyway. I, I hope you will. I hope you will. All right, let's, let's bring some hope to people who are without, a, without hope. Let's bring some hope. Uh, that's why we exist anyway. Dream again. So we, 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 uh, uh, this is part three. Uh, the first two weeks, we kind of dove into some theology, if you will, some pretty, I think, a little bit deeper maybe than normal. And we, we've uh, broken down two big words so far, justification. So justified, it's uh, through the justification that Jesus brings, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. And then last week, we talked about reconciliation, that I was in complete debt to God through sin. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of that, Jesus took me from totally in debt to sin to totally priceless before God. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and so today, we're going to go into another one of those kind of big words, and I hope that this is helpful to you. Uh, so let's uh, give you a, a statement here. Our perception of success and failure is often our primary basis for evaluating ourselves and others. And this is a part of that thing, keeping up with the Joneses, seeing, have I finally arrived? Oh, I know this, they haven't. <laughs> Look at them. Like, so, you know, I, early on, early on in my marriage, uh, I think we were 25, I was 25, and Lindsay and I had moved to Springfield, Missouri, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to school full-time, I'm, I'm taking 15 credit hours at a Bible school, and I'm working about 60 hours a week at a place called Highland Dairy there in Springfield, and I was making good money, and uh, I, I don't know when I was sleeping, <laughs> but I was sleeping at one point or another, and so I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to bless my wife in, in some different ways, and uh, I, I was trying to show myself, my wife, my family, her family, everybody, that we were successful and that we were not failures. So what did we do at 25? We went out and bought ourselves a $27,000 car with huge payments and bought ourselves a $150,000 home with huge payments. And then we didn't eat for seven months. Uh, I mean, the money, the money was gone. It was gone. But I had to prove that I was successful. Have you found yourself doing that in any areas of your life? You just got to show people, I, I did it. I made it. I, I, I am okay. I, I, I am. Let's deal with it. <laughs> Can we deal with that today? We okay, everybody? Let's deal with it. Uh, here's our banner verse for this series. Search me, God, and know my heart. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I say the things that I say? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Search my heart. Know it. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. 
The, the, you, did you know that Jesus loves to do this? And not because he's like, oh, you awful thing. Found something else. Just give me a break. He could do that all day, couldn't he? Come on, somebody. He could do it all day. He could be like, yeah, that's off to, oh, that's off to. Ah, that's another thing. That's, I mean, it'd just be all day. He, he, he wouldn't be, be able to take a breath talking to us about our wrong. That's not the point of this. The point is he loves to help us take a new direction in life, to take healthier steps. He loves to do that. He's not tired of you. He's not exhausted by you. He's in love with you. That's what this means, to point me, point out anything in me that offends you. Not so he can condemn you or tear you apart, but so he can break some bondage off of you, so he can help you to become free in him and then live a life in him. That's what he longs for. That's what he longs for. So let's deal with that a little bit extra today. So a big question, have you ever wondered how a critical, judgmental person lives with themselves? You might be one of those people that's just everything, like you're driving and you are judging everybody on how they drive. You get dressed in the morning, you get to work, and you're like, yuck, Gertrude looks gross today. Nobody? You don't have to admit that, but you know it's true. <laughs> uh, oh, look at Eldon. Yeah, what is that guy? He's still living in the 70s. I know he was born in the 40s, but you don't have to look like you're still living in the 40s. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't come out of that at all? Critical and judgmental. You, you, you are watching people on, some of us watch people on social media, and you're getting their highlight reel, everybody. They're not showing you all the bad stuff. I mean, very rarely are they showing you the bad stuff. You're just seeing all the good stuff. It's like, man, look at them. Woo, they're living the dream. I hate myself. <laughs> you know how they live? Uh, ever wondered how they, how they live with themselves? Not well. Now, because here's what happens. When you're super critical and judgmental of others, you're always afraid that others are critical and judgmental of you. There's, there's something underneath that grips our hearts. Let me give you more of this. So what's the problem? If we believe that performance reflects our value and that failure makes us unacceptable and unworthy of love, then we will feel completely justified. We'll justify why it's okay to condemn those who fail, including ourselves. And we'll just live a life of condemnation, just condemning ourselves and others. Oh, look at that. Their life fell apart. I saw that coming. I could have told you that. I, I knew that. That doesn't surprise me at all. Something bad happens in your life. Yep, makes sense. I deserve that. I earned that. Life is just a living hell, and I'm the innkeeper. And, and so we, we wrestle with these things. There, there's more of this problem. We've been brainwashed and broken by this false belief that those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. This, this listen to me now, there's consequences that you're going to have in this life. There's consequences. And you have to work through the consequences. It's, it's just part of life. It's part of freedom, really. So you're going to have to work through the consequences. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that deep down in some of our hearts in this room, some of our hearts online, that deep down there is this wrestling match that you are trying to deal with that you believe because of failure you are unworthy of love and you deserve punishment. You deserve to be punished worse. Sometimes you punish yourself. I mean, a lot of Christians do that. You, 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 you begin to, to get this idea of how good Jesus is, and you realize I'm unworthy of how good he is. So I've got to somehow, some way, find a way to earn and gain his love. We're going to deal with that right there. Let me say it in two words. Stop it. Stop it. But it's hard to just receive that and then be like, okay, I'll stop that. It's hard. So let me show you words that Jesus says, okay? Every bad person in my life should get the punishment that their actions deserve. This is the law of retribution. 
Ooh, I'm, I'm going to get you. And if I don't, somebody will. I pray Murphy's Law will go off in your life. That anything that bad that could happen will happen. Please, I mean, not for me necessarily, but for them. Ah! And we want retribution because when you've been wronged, it's hard to live with that. Especially when it's not justifiable. That, you, that your heart was just broken. And it's like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? So how does Jesus respond in these types of situations? I'm going to give you five situations, all right, and all of them are failure. The first one is, literally, how does he respond when I fail him? In your brain, you know, don't say it out loud, but in your brain, how do you think he thinks about you when you fail? How does he look at you when you fail? How does he feel about you when you fail? In your mind right now, think about it. What do you think? Now, there's some things you church, you churchaholics out here, you, you Christians out here, there's some things you're going to say, well, I just know this. But do you actually believe it? Like, do you actually believe what you know? So how does he respond when I fail, when I hurt him, when I'm unrighteous, when I am inconsiderate, when I'm selfish? How does he respond? There's things you know, but do you believe the truth about Jesus? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says how he will respond when we live this way. That he will love us even if we are his enemies. That he will do good to those who hate him. That he will bless those who curse him. And he will pray for those who mistreat him. That's how Jesus responds within my success or my failure. That's his response. Now, I know that's not your response. I know because I've done counseling with you. <laughs> I know. I know because I've seen you on social media having arguments. I know because I've seen how you drive. I know because I've seen you in Walmart. Though you, you didn't think I saw you, but you saw me and you turned and walked the other way. You know what I'm talking about. You know who you are. My wife. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. It's, it's not fair, she's not here. I'll use that joke in the next service so she can get mad at me. Uh, this is how Jesus responds. I believe it's very difficult to believe this about Jesus. Because I'm unworthy of love and I deserve punishment. So dreaming again is this, as we depend less on people for our worth. As we look less at people's failure, and we begin to think, as we begin to think the highest good about others, our sins and mistakes will become less of a threat to us, and we'll desire to help others instead of punishing others or ourselves. There is, some, there is a change that comes over Christians as they get deeper and deeper into relationship with Jesus. When they are wronged, all of a sudden they begin to respond with love instead of with hate. Like, like you know, some of y'all, you've landed there. And it's like, I can't even believe I'm not super angry at this person. Like, what's wrong with me that I'm not angry? That's a good thing. <laughs> okay, that's an okay thing. That's a better response. It is. Okay, so uh, within this idea, okay, within the, the success and failure idea, there's two major errors. <laughs> the, the first one is this, that we condemn genuine sin and genuine mistakes. Now, we're actually not called to condemn at all. That's not your job. That's not my job. But it just feels kind of easy as a Christian to do it, doesn't it? Sometimes it even feels good. Hey, they're not as bad as I am. Oh, if you see their past, my past isn't even close to that. Whew. <laughs> but for the grace of God, I'm not as bad as they are. Okay, that's all condemnation. But the, the, the sad thing about this is we don't just condemn people for actual sin. We do it for mistakes. Uh, growing up, um, in, in fact, it, I'm not going to say that. One of my children, one of my, I'm not going to say who, but one of my children used to have a spilling problem. I mean, every time we, it felt like every time we'd sit down at the table, there goes the whole glass of milk. Every time we, we went out to eat, there goes the whole glass of water. 
And early on, I would get really mad. And I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why did you just spill that? And, and now, you know, I, I'm, I'm like 25 or 26 at the time. Now at 38, I think back to that, and I'm like, Jared, you idiot. It's just, it's just, it's not like he's over there going, yeah, watch this, everybody, boom. I mean, he's not doing it on purpose. He made a mistake. Who cares? Why does it matter? You know why it matters? Because it was a failure that other people at the restaurant saw. Therefore, there needs to be punishment, not only of him, but myself. Is this ringing a bell to anybody? There must be punishment for this failure because my child yells at me when I'm in Walmart. Oh, how dare you? You're embarrassing me and yourself. I'm going to... And there's things you contemplate them. You know it's sinful. Stop it. You know what you start thinking. It's crazy. Why do we feel that way? Because failure leads to an unworthiness of love, and I now deserve to be punished. That's why we feel that way. Okay. Here's the other issue. We actually believe we're godly agents of condemnation. This is why there are churches that go to military funerals and hold signs up that says God hates and all different kinds of names. Because the, those churches believe they're godly agents of condemnation. It, it, it's why you condemn people for specific types of sins over other types of sins. It's why I do it too. We, we get this idea that it's my job. God saved me and the only way I'll save us. Like, you know this. You never fell in love with Jesus because he condemned you. Come on, y'all. Like, how much did you hate it when mom and dad condemned you? What were you thinking? Are you an idiot? Uh, yes. Like, what do you say to that? You know? I mean, I... What do you say to that? How do you respond to that? When, when a coach goes off or a teacher goes off or a boss goes off and you're like, oh, I'm about this big now. Oh, and you don't even know what to do now. And we believe at times that we're godly agents of condemnation. Wrongo. Let me show you what Jesus says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands, commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Okay, so the law that the Jews were following, the, the law of God, would say to stone a woman if she was caught in adultery. It also says, by the way, to stone a man if he's caught in adultery. How come they didn't drag the man in front of Jesus? It's an interesting question, isn't it? So how does Jesus respond? Well, they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them this beautiful uh, uh, phrase, Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let anyone in this room, let anybody online who is without sin be the first to condemn somebody else for their failure. Now, if you think you're without sin... You're wrong, <laughs> okay? You're, you're wrong. Like we've all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us do, okay? And so then Jesus, <laughs> he says this amazing phrase, and then again he stoops down and wrote on the ground. Uh, I heard a preacher say this one time that uh, when he stoops back down, he actually starts writing the names of the mistresses of all the men that were there condemning this woman. And so, so he sues back down. He says, uh, Karen, Judith. And I love how they respond. What do they do, everybody? Those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones, because everybody, I mean, it's just reality. The older you get, 
the more opportunity for experiences, it doesn't mean you're wiser. It just means you've had more experiences. And if you learn from the experiences, you became wiser. How many of you know people who are older that have not learned from the experience? You know who you are. You might be sitting next to one. And the older ones left first until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And he said, he straightened up and asked her, woman, <laughs> where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. That's a beautiful thought. That's a beautiful moment. That's a moment for you to receive. But he doesn't just stop with grace, everybody. He speaks truth. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now go and leave your life of sin. It can't just be grace, everybody. It's got to be truth. It's got to be truth, okay? And so once you begin to recognize, ooh, that's off, well, turn your back on it. Ooh, that's wrong. I shouldn't act like that. No, turn your back on it. Turn, just turn away. The easiest way to turn your back on junk is to fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the easiest way. Okay? Relationship with Jesus. So here's a lie we believe. Anyone who fails, including myself, is unworthy of love and deserves to be punished. Anyone who fails... Some of us, this is the way that you, grew, that you grew up, literally, is being reminded of your failure over and over and over again. And now it's just stuck. It's on repeat. It's on repeat. And that life recorder in your heart and in your head is just going like this over and over and over again. And Jesus wants to set you free from that today. He does. So this is the root of our fear of punishment, and it's where our tendency to punish others comes from. The reason we believe this lie is because we are afraid of punishment. That's why. And it builds this fear deep within our spirits, deep within our souls. It's just bouncing around in our minds, whether we recognize it or not, it bounces there. It gets stuck there. So this turns into what's called the blame game. There's four levels of the blame game, and I'm going to get to application here in a second. But here's what we do. We create self-induced punishment. We just start to punish ourselves. We beat ourselves up because of different things someone may have said, and, and it made us feel like a failure, even if it's stuff that you couldn't control. Something you literally couldn't control. So, uh, uh, some middle schoolers have zero control over what their body looks like. When you're going through puberty, you have almost zero control about what your face and, and the zits that are on your face, what that looks like. There's hormones that are going off and you cannot control it. If you're talked to about things like that at an early age... If you're not careful, it's going to get lodged right here. And it's just going to cycle over and over and over. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, be very careful with how you speak to your children. I have not always been kind to my kids when it, when it came to things like that. I haven't. And if I'm not careful, I will develop this idea in my boys' hearts and minds. Husbands, if you're not careful, you'll develop this idea in your wife's mind. Wife, if you're not careful, you'll develop this in your husband's mind. Are we on the same page, everybody? Okay. <laughs> uh, you might become passive-aggressive. You ever seen someone get hurt and they, they clam up until they turn into the volcano? Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about. Passive-aggressive. I had a buddy of mine. I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> he had an anger issue. And uh, he got in big trouble because he decided to drive on the wrong side of the road towards incoming traffic. He was a very, like, like kind of soft-spoken, chill dude until he lost it. Punishing others or every kind of fear. Punishing others or every kind of fear. And, and what does this lead to? Well, God's answer to the fear of punishment is a big word called propitiation. Propitiation. Say that five times real fast. 
It'll feel like you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. <laughs> Propitiation, all right? Propitiation. Well, what is this? You see it in Scripture, 1 John 4. The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. And in this, in this is love, not that we have loved God. Okay, another translation uh, would say, not that we love God first, but that he loved us first. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Pastor, what does that mean exactly? I'll show you. What is propitiation? It's the act of appeasing wrath and securing or earning the favor of an offended party. You take place in this kind of a thing often with others. Try and pay something back. You, you do something wrong. You say you're sorry. You ask for forgiveness. And then you work really hard to build up trust again so that you are addressing and appeasing their wrath. It's easy to become angry with someone who has wronged us and not want to forgive them. Isn't that right? It's easy. It's easy. Here, here's what else propitiation is. A holy God's wrath after being unjustly wronged must be satisfied. It must be satisfied. P please don't misunderstand God. Uh, God is love. Yes. Yes, God is love. But he's holy. Therefore, sin separates me from God. And because sin separated me from God, God created a sacrificial system for animals to take their sin upon themselves and be killed to kill that sin. And when Jesus arrived, we no longer have to kill animals because the perfect lamb of God was killed in your place and in my place. Therefore, he killed my sin. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus satisfies the holy wrath of God through his sacrifice for our sins. That is propitiation. Someone had to satisfy the wrath of God. And here, here's the rub. When I refuse to accept Jesus as my Savior, what I'm saying is I'm willing to try and satisfy God's wrath myself. I'm, I'm unworthy of the death of Jesus. That's not true. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say you're unworthy. Does this make sense, everybody? To a certain extent? Anybody have a question? I'll answer it later. So here's the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him there's no darkness at all. So, so technically my sin would bring darkness to God. But that doesn't take place because Jesus died for your sin. Watch this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, is the propitiation for all of our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <laughs> in this good, don't you feel the good news here? Praise the Lord. Basically, John the Beloved is like, y'all a bunch of sinners. Y'all a bunch of sinners. But then he gives you the way out. If we say we have no sin. So nine, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He was faithful through propitiation. He justified us. He reconciled us. This is what Jesus does, everybody. This is what opens the door to relationship with him. Otherwise, you will always try and follow some sort of a religion to appease the wrath of God. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Only Jesus can appease the wrath of God. And he did. <laughs> Listen, when you hear good news, like there needs to be a response that you have. You don't have to like jump up and clap or anything. But at least in your heart, allow thankfulness to begin to grow. Because he took me, a worthless person, 
and through his sacrifice has made me priceless in the eyes of an almighty holy God. And that's something to be thankful for deep within ourselves. Okay. So we got to dream again. In his holiness, God condemns sin, but in the most awesome example of love the world has ever seen, he sends his son to die and pay for the world's sin. <laughs> that's, I'm not going to send my son to pay for your sin. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not. I wouldn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, Abraham in the Bible, he's awesome. Did you know he, God said, hey, sacrifice your son to me. Yikes, right? Everybody, if you never heard that story, now you just got scared of this God. Okay, he says, sacrifice your son to me. Abraham walks him up there, and he's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my son because uh, I trust you, God. And he's like, okay, here we go, here we go. <laughs> and then God stops him, and they sacrifice a ram, and everything is fine. Okay, what was the idea? Uh, this, the, uh, Abraham's son, his name was Isaac. What was the purpose of that? It was a call to faithfulness and obedience. Whenever you put something, anything above God, you make it an idol. It's easy to, to create this fear of punishment or, or this whole failure thing. We actually create an idol out of it. And it controls our lives. It controls our hearts. It controls our minds. Okay. So uh, uh, two barriers to the truth of propitiation. The first is poor patterns of motivation. Uh, you may have grown up this way. You may have grown up in, in church this way, or, or maybe you've never heard. If you've never heard uh, the idea I'm about to show you, if you've never heard this, thank God. Don't go towards it, okay? Um, there, there are, I can't go that, that, that way. In, in this idea of poor patterns of motivation, we try and motivate people by condemning them. We say something like this, I thought you would have known better by now. If they had known better, they wouldn't have done it. How are you helping to condemn them in that moment? Come on, everybody. Come on. If you really loved me, you wouldn't have. Okay, that might be true, but how is that helping? Especially with your, with your children, you know. I thought you were a good boy. I thought you were a good girl. Uh, they got sin just like you do, Mom. <laughs> Goodness sake. How are you going to feel? They, they come walking up to you. I thought you obeyed the law, but look at you. Speeding. Any of you ever had your kid call you out for speeding? Doesn't it make you mad? I'm an adult. I can do what I want. Who does that sound like? Your child. Right? No, I don't. No. I want to do. That's what, that's what you sound and look like in their eyes when you act like that, when they call you out. The same thing. And here's what we fall into. This poor pattern of motivation is this. We try and obey every law in the Bible as a Christian. You, know, you want to know how many there are, how many commandments? There's 613 in the Old Testament and 1,050 in the New Testament. You think, listen, you, you can't even obey all 10 commandments. You think you can obey 1,663? Right? You know, in the middle of this message, there's, you've sinned. <laughs> man, I mean, man, you know, not all of us, but the person at the end of your row, just look at them. Ugh, sin. Ugh. It's impossible to keep all these. It's never going to happen. Listen to me. It's not about keeping all these commandments. It's not. I'll show you what it's all about. Just a reminder. Here's the second barrier. Holding on to unforgiveness. This will always block us from, from actually grasping propitiation. It'll block us. If you have unforgiveness in your heart today, I know it, it hurts. You, you've been wronged. You, you have unforgiveness for a reason. Today is the day to release that into Jesus' hands. Today is the day. Because it's not helped you to hold unforgiveness in your heart. It's not helping you. It's not helping you. When, when I see things in, in the character of my children, uh, of Luke and Noah, when I see something there that, that's a little off, I'll ask them that question. Okay, you're acting this way. How has that helped you? How is that helping you today? 
how, how has that made you better? It hasn't. That's why I'm asking you the question. <laughs> now watch this. Uh, the, the, the wrong they've done to me is too great. Or they didn't take responsibility. How can I forgive them? They, they won't take responsibility for their action. They aren't truly sorry. They don't, they never asked me to forgive them. How can I forgive? They've never asked. They're not actually sorry. They'll just do it again. Oh, oops. They did it again. They did it deliberately, Pastor. They must be punished. How can I forgive them? How, they've, I, I can't forgive because they need this punishment. I'll be a hypocrite if I forgive them. I promised I would never forgive them. I'll never forgive you for this. Or I might forgive, but I'll never forget this. This is going to block you from breaking free from that bondage of the blame game, the fear of punishment. It'll block you. We don't want to be blocked, everybody. <laughs> We need freedom. So let's deal with freedom. First of all, I'll dream again when I stop trying to overcome my feelings of condemnation and failure through good works. Good works are important, okay? But this will not bring you to freedom. You, 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 you ever, uh, uh, so, someone in your life passes away. And because you're trying to bring some hope into your heart over their eternity you or someone you know might say they were they were a real good person man they were a real good person just so you know we say that phrase when we are unsure if they ever gave their heart to Jesus being a good person is not what ushers you into heaven everybody it's surrendering your heart to Jesus he knows you can't be good I don't do bad all by myself. He knows you can't be good. It's not about being good that invites you into his presence. It's about you admitting that you're not good and that you need his help. Watch this scripture. You've probably heard it before. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. It's not about you and your good works. So we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, why are we created to do good works? Because when you love Jesus, you can't help yourself but to do good to others. <laughs> it, it, there's a dichotomy there. It, it's like it's splitting the hair. It, it, it's, there's, there's two sides to this coin. And one side leads to disaster and the other side leads to freedom. Jesus leads to freedom. But you doing good works to try and find freedom, it'll never happen. Trying to pay for my sins by my actions only leads to a guilt and good works spiral. Because we can never do enough on our own to justify our sins. That's why we need propitiation. And lastly, everyone, number two. I'll dream again when I verbalize what Jesus has done for me. When was the last time you actually said out loud what Jesus has done for you? When? You've been beat up by guilt and shame and condemnation. You've been trying to perform your way out of a deep, dark hole. Why don't you verbalize what Jesus says and does? Watch this scripture now. This is from the book of Revelation and John uh, the beloved, or as he's also known in this, John the Revelator, writing down this beautiful vision and dream that God gave him. He says this, I heard a loud voice in the heavens say, now I've come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, this is literally talking about the devil, okay, Satan. The accuser, the accuser, who accuses you and me before our God day and night. Day and night. Every day and night of your life. All the failure that, is, that has been created through your 
actions purposefully and accidentally. The enemy of your soul goes before God and says, let me give you the laundry list of how bad this person is. Let me show you how they don't want your love because of the way that they have lived their lives. The enemy of your soul does that day and night over your life. And how does Jesus respond? We triumph over that accusation by the blood of the Lamb, by propitiation, and by the word of our testimony that we don't love our old sinful lives so much that we shrink away from letting that die. We don't love it that much. Jesus, what, however you find me this morning, don't leave me that way, Lord. Well, begin to change me to be more like you. So what do I verbalize? Remind yourself every morning, I want you to remind yourself of this this week. Would you please take a picture when I'm done with it and please do this. Please, it'll begin to transform and renew your thoughts. Watch, Jesus deeply loves me. It's okay to wake up in the morning and, and, and to just sit on the edge of your bed and say, oh wow, Jesus deeply loves me. It's okay to say, I un, Jesus unreservedly forgives me. He holds nothing back. He doesn't leave a little bit of sin in my life. He doesn't have a little bit of unforgiveness for me. He, thank you, Jesus, that you totally forgive me. Jesus is fully pleased with me. You need to say this about yourself. You need to say this. Why? Because it's true. It's true. Jesus totally accepts me. He totally accepts me. His arms are wide open to me and to you. His arms are wide open to everybody you know. His arms are wide open. And finally, I am complete in Jesus. This is true. This is what propitiation brings to you. That when Jesus satisfies the holy wrath of God, that instead of God having wrath towards you, now all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. That's good news. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Jesus, what'd you say to each of us individually in this message? Go ahead and ask him. Jesus, what did you say to me in that message? What did you say to me in that message? Have I been playing the blame game? Do I have all kinds of unforgiveness in my heart? Have I been practicing poor thought processes towards motivation? Am I still trying to earn his love rather than just receiving his love? Where am I at? Every... every Head is bowed, I, I think. Every eye is closed. Don't look around. I'm going to ask you a question. Nobody's watching you but me and Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. And this is just an opportunity. I, I, I read that scripture from Romans that if you'll confess and believe that he forgives you, if you'll confess and believe. So here's the confession moment. Nobody's watching you. Have you been believing the lie that there's no way Jesus could ever forgive you and actually love you? Have you been believing the lie of you being unworthy of love and you deserve and you believe deserve punishment and you believe that about people in your life? You've been believing that lie and you're ready to confess it and find forgiveness from Jesus from that. If that's you, raise a hand real high. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. All over this room. Thank you, Jesus. Put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have moved our hearts towards you. 
you've moved our hearts towards you. That moment, that confession right there was not a moment of condemnation. It was a moment to receive freedom. Oh, Jesus, that we would be freed from this fear of being punished by you all the time. Oh, God, that we would just fall in love with you. That we would fall in love with you, Jesus. You will love us. You accept us. You are totally pleased with us. There is nothing that you are holding back in forgiveness from us. You make us complete in you. And today we receive that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. And if you agree with that prayer right now, would you say amen, amen. Come on, everybody, give Jesus a little bit of praise. Come on. Uh, Let's stand up on our feet now, everybody. Come on. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. I could not do this on my own. It is impossible for me to somehow earn your love and your grace. You freely give it to me. So, Jesus, we worship you today. It's all about you. Thank you so much for joining us for part three of Dream Again on Spotify. Make sure you're following us so you get notifications every time we upload a new episode. We can't wait to see you again for part four this Sunday at Hope Anthem Church.